Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to the 111th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. So we are uh, traveling for business this week. We've been uh, out of the office since Monday, so we're uh, once again doing this recording over Zoom. So apologize for any audio snafus. Hopefully we'll get through this one without any issues. Um, So before we begin, as always, just want to take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month of August so far and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on August 19th, and the data is from Coifin. Uh, S&P 500 index is up 0.25% for the month and up 17.3% for the year. The Dow down 0.1% for the month and up 14% for the year. The NASDAQ down 1% for the month and up 12.7% for the year. The IWM ETF tracks the Russell 2000 index down 4.1% for the month and up 8.1% for the year. The Vanguard International ETF X United States is down 1.6% for the month and up 6.1% for the year. Uh, The three-month T-bill currently yielding 0.05%, the two-year Treasury yield sitting at 0.22%, and the 10-year Treasury yielding 1.5%. 2%. Uh, Moving on to big news and headlines and current events from the past week. Um, I think the main focus uh, or concern right now seems to be Delta variant concerns, infrastructure bill uncertainty, and the timeline of when the Federal Reserve will begin to cut back on money printing. Um, The 2021 holiday shopping season also could be marred by out-of-stock goods and shipping delays with the recent floods in Europe and China um, that have exacerbated already strained kind of global supply chains. And Western Europe and China are kind of right now grappling with the aftermath of devastating floods. And, you know, these floods have damaged railways used for delivery of goods of raw materials in both of those regions. You know, they have severe water damage that rushed into industrial areas, uh, extensively damaging facilities, machinery, warehouses, companies in the supply chain industry. Um, So, Matt, one of the big things that we have to keep an eye on here is that, you know, Black Friday and the holiday shopping season, um, you know, will face a pretty large impact from this, I think. So we just have to, you know, know that you know, things like consumer electronics and furniture and clothing and appliances could continue to still be in short supply. Yeah, it could take some time for these supply chains to normalize. And so what does that mean for consumers? It means you better shop earlier this year. And I don't think you're going to see the deals on Black Friday like people have grown accustomed to. In addition, for retailers, I think they're going to have to make up the difference in volume by raising those prices. So I would not expect, again, the deals this holiday season. Okay. Um, 
The used car market is finally showing signs of slowing down, according to an executive at one of the top auto retailers in the U.S. He said that new car inventories are going to get better progressively over the next few months as we get to the end of the year. Um, this was from Jeff Dyke, uh, the president of Sonic Automotive. And he says that, that as that happens, it's going to alleviate the inventory issues that is happening on the pre-owned side. So uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks and months to come, we see those used car prices start to come down um, as hopefully these chip shortages begin to kind of relieve themselves. Yeah, Mark, I listened to that whole interview and Sonic Automotive owns a bunch of car retailers across the U.S. I think it's the fifth largest made a comment in regards to supply on the lot. And the um, example he used in the interview was uh, a BMW dealer that they own. And they have on average about a week worth of inventory on the lot now. And he was speculating on this interview that by early November, they'll be back to an average of about a month or 30 day supply on the lot. So again, I think as those supply chains normalize, it will affect prices and Historically and statistically speaking, those prices should come down. Right, right. Um, so moving on to tweets, articles, and research from the week that we found intriguing. Um, the first thing, Matt, is kind of funny. Uh, I received an email from Think Advisor a few weeks ago, and the headline in it was "Drop in Ten-Year Treasury Yield Baffles Market Strategists." And I'll just keep going. I I just couldn't help but kind of just chuckled to myself. I mean. Is there really anything that should baffle any of us anymore in the markets? It's again, just, you know, one of those things that not everything needs to make sense in the capital markets. We can still get price inflation and see downturns in the 10-year treasury yield. To a lot of people, that doesn't make sense, but it's happening, right? Yeah. I mean, you look at the real return after inflation on that 10-year bond. It's negative. It's a negative return after inflation. Guess what? People are still buying it. Um, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to make sense to us, but there are things I'll look at it from afar and say, I'm going to watch. I'm not participating in that trade. Right, exactly. And I was listening to, you know, uh, Ben Carlson and Michael Batnick the other week, and Ben brought up a good point. <clears throat> you know, we're in the midst of this booming housing market and Zillow over the past year or year to date is down like 20 or 30 percent. So it's like, OK, that you would think doesn't make sense, but it's happening, right? So not everything, you know, plays out the way that it should in the markets. And I think it's just a good teaching point for people that, you know, a lot of this stuff is not going to make sense to you. Um, and it happens all the time. So it's not irregular for this, this type of action in the markets. The market's very forward looking at prices in circumstances. And obviously, you know, the performance of a stock like Zillow, not being so hot lately, maybe that's a bad omen for where the real estate market is going. And right. again, I'm not providing an opinion for or against that specific position, but we got to remember, you know, the market prices these things in. And so again, at times, it will not make sense because of that. Right, right. Next thing I had was a tweet from Seth Golden on July 14th, and Seth said this, when the max drawdown was less than 5% in the first half of the year, which it has been in 2021, the S&P 500 average returns were 8% in the second half with over 80% of returns positive. So 
the thing I just want to point out here is that just because we haven't had a major pullback in the markets this year doesn't mean we can't have a strong second half. And, you know, I think this is just one of those things where people are perpetually taught that, you know, all time highs are bad for the stock market. That means that we have to pull back and we have to have this major sell off. And we talked about this last week with Brian Feroldi on episode number 110, that all time highs are just about the most bullish thing you can have happen in the markets. And it's something like, I don't know, 49 or 50 all, new all-time highs that the S&P 500 has hit this year. And, you know, if you sold all of your stock exposure after the first all-time high that was hit this year, you'd be sitting there with egg on your face, right? So I think, again, just because we haven't had a severe pullback this year doesn't mean we can't still climb higher into year-end. Absolutely agree. I mean, I saw a tweet yesterday from J.C. Peretz and the question was, what is the most, um, what indicator does he like the most for a stock? And his reply was price. Just because these stocks are moving higher, like you say, is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's showing underlying demand for the shares, which a lot of times accounts that there's underlying optimism or their business is doing good. That's a good thing. So yeah, I agree with this. And you know, I think investors have to change the mindset of always trying to catch falling knives or try to pick up those stocks that are near 52-week lows, because guess what? Those stocks are trading at a 52-week low, probably for a good reason. Right, right, exactly. Um, last thing I have before I turn it over to you, Matt, was a um, just a little bit of a snippet from an article in Think Advisor by Melanie Waddell. Uh, titled The House Panel Crafting Bill to Limit IRA Savings. So after the recent coverage of the ProPublica on Peter Thiel's stunning $5 billion tax-free Roth IRA, the Senate Finance Committee announced that it is exploring legislation that would crack down on giant tax-free retirement accounts, noting that tax preferences for retirement accounts were intended to support retirement security for the middle-class American, not an outsized tax shelter for the ultra-wealthy. Notably, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden had proposed back in 2016 a provision that would limit the amount of money that could be held in a Roth IRA, forcing any dollars accumulated above a $5 million cap to be forced out of the account over time. Now, with the ProPublica report, Wyden's 2016 proposal may be coming back onto the table recognizing that Teal's actions to use his Roth IRA to buy some of the original startup shares of PayPal and pre-IPO investor shares of Facebook was entirely permissible until the prohibited transaction rules for IRAs. However, a cap on Roth IRA accumulations with excess dollars forced out of the account would limit the potential size of Roth IRAs in the future in theory, allowing them to be large enough for the mass of Americans, but not able to grow so large as to become multi-billion dollar tax shelters. Teal managed to achieve explosive exponential gains with his early Roth IRA contribution by managing to win big twice by investing in PayPal and Facebook in the earliest startup stages with his Roth IRA contributions. So there are a lot of people who were up in arms about this story, Matt, but I think the bigger question, at least that I'm seeing out there is, is the Roth IRA going to go away? And I know we touched about this, you know, on the podcast before, 
And I think this is a, a good time to bring it back because this story has been in the news for a couple of weeks now. And again, I was listening to Ben Carlson and Mike, Michael Batnick's podcast the other day, and they made a great point with, with Roth IRAs, you are prepaying your taxes and the government loves that. <laughs> so on that basis alone, I would say no, Roth IRAs aren't going away. But of course, that isn't to say that there you know, couldn't be some more strict limits that come with them in general. But in my opinion, I do think they're here to stay. I would agree, Mark. I don't see it going away, but I could see further restrictions. Will it end up being the max value of $5 million? Will they make it a different number? That could be debated. But do I think that the um, Roth IRA itself is going away? I don't think so. No, no, I don't think so either. Uh, I'll turn it over to you. Excellent. All right, here we go, viewers. I got my first tweet is about individual stock returns. There's going to be a moral to the story here. This tweet is from Austin Lieberman. He's a portfolio manager at Social Capital, okay? His tweet, and this was from July 30th, says, someone shared this with me about Amazon today, had no idea. Despite being up 28X and 38X over the last 11 years, Amazon and Netflix have only beaten the market in six of those 11 years. So again, I'll repeat, Amazon was up 28x over the last 11 years. Netflix was up 35x over the last 11 years. But guess what? In individual calendar years, they only beat the market six of those 11. Mark, what's the moral of the story? Well, I think the moral of the story is that you know returns are lumpy and come in waves. You know, um, I think there's a misconception out there that people just look at the quote unquote, average returns of stocks or an index in general and think, hey, that means that, you know, we could probably expect the market or a stock to do seven to 9% per year, where in reality, we've talked about this data on the podcast before, where there's only been something like two or three years where the market actually returned somewhere between seven and 9%. Most of the time, it's way higher than that or way lower than that, and that's where you get the average. So I think when people look at this stuff, you know, Amazon has, and, and Netflix, for example, have both trounced the market, but there's years, like you said, where it has underperformed the market. Um, so I think people just have to realize that these returns come in lumps, and it's not going to be this smoothed out average that everyone, you know, seeks it to be because that's what they see when they're looking at charts. Um, so people just have to be patient with that. I agree. I mean, the, the terminology I'd like to throw out there is they have to think in the mindset of being an investor, not a trader. And it takes time in these individual names to earn those returns. And you're going to go through periods of time where it, it doesn't do well or it moves sideways you might become discouraged. And I think that that is time is one of the strategic advantages that individual investors have. Don't try to sit there and time the market. Don't bring your time horizon in on that trade real short. I, I, in my opinion, you have a big advantage with time horizon and people need to exploit that and be patient with good companies. Yeah, I agree. All right, I got another one for listeners. This one is on the Delta variant news. And so I want to point out what I think really matters to the market 
in regards to the Delta variant, okay? The source of this data is from Bespoke Investment Group. We reference them a lot on the podcast. They do a phenomenal job in analyzing raw data on different areas of the market. This data specifically is from August 3rd, listeners. One question we're often asked is that with Delta variant pushing COVID case counts higher, is the market being too complacent about risks? Rising case counts are an alarm, but looking at how the wave has progressed in other areas of the world provides a blueprint that the Delta wave may be severe in terms of transmission, but it's not long lasting. Additionally, the market is more concerned with consumer behavior at this point. It appears though Delta's impact has not caused much in the way of consumer behavior. Case in point, TSA passenger um, uh, throughput. So how many people are going through the TSA checkpoints at airports? In early August, it was August 2nd, was the fifth straight day since the pandemic began that U.S. airports processed more than 2 million passengers a day. The last time that happened was mid-February 2020. Included in that five-day run was the first Saturday since last March when more than 2 million passengers traveled on a Saturday. So what does this mean? Why am I referencing this? At the end of the day, we got to look at consumer behavior. Two-thirds of our economy is consumer spending led. As the pandemic is subsiding from the lockdowns of last year, I think you're going to see consumers get out there and continue to travel, continue to spend. And if you're an investor and you're looking for names to invest in, you got to follow the tea leaves and see where the consumers are spending this money at. And this is just one indicator that is proving to me that the consumer is getting back out there. They are traveling. Uh, we do have a chart that shows this TSA passenger throughput. Jenna, will you share with the listeners where they could find our show notes online, please? Yeah, you can find our show notes on Facebook and LinkedIn at Jessup Wealth Management. You can also find them underneath the episode on whichever platform you choose to listen on. And then you can find our regular social media on Instagram and Twitter at Jessup Wealth. Thank you, Jenna. Jenna does a great job in posting our show notes. Uh, so if you're referencing uh, this podcast, feel free to go to our social media and you can see these charts that we are referencing. Mark, any comments on your end? Yeah, and I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because I know I'm going to talk about this here in a little bit, but I think we as humans in the stock market spend so much time preparing for short-term weakness in the market and not enough time preparing for good times. Everyone's always looking to call a top and you know be out of the market when the market falls by 20%. And the reality of it is that the stock market is a wealth generating machine that over the long-term creates significant amount of wealth if you, if you stick with it. And, you know, we're just so focused on, you know, missing every little pullback and every correction that, you know, we're going to go through periods like COVID and it's not going to be fun in the stock market like it was for, you know, February and March of 2020 to 2021. You know, I think the point that you made about us being such a consumer driven economy nothing's going to change that. 
you know, even at if if consumer spending weakens for a little bit, you know, just look at America over history. We are spenders. And that is not going to change anytime soon. So, you know, it's just one of those things that I think, you know, people pay way too much attention to the news with this Delta variant, not saying that it's not, you know, important from a humanitarian level, but in regards to the stock market, it's just noise. It really is just noise, unless you're a really short-term trader with a short-term time horizon. So again, like we always say, just try to, you know, block as much news, mainstream news out as you can. I think you're going to be in a better spot in your portfolio. One thing you've also always said, Mark, is it's not the stuff that's being talked about constantly that causes sharp corrections. It's the things that occur that the market hasn't been anticipating or talking about. And the Mm -hmm. Delta variants in the news constantly. So I think the market does a good job of pricing in that risk to a good extent. Any other comments you want to add to that? Yeah, I think it does too. But um, like I said, you know, I would, if I was a betting man, I'd bet a significant amount of money that the Delta variant's not going to be the next thing to bring down the markets. So exactly, my friend. Exactly. I'm stamped that at 8:57 a.m. on August 20th, Jenna. We'll come back and see if I'm right. <laughs> I love this. All right, I got one more for the listeners. It's a, a market update from Argus Research. Argus Research is an independent research firm. This note is from the end of July, on my birthday, July 29th. So it talks about performance of the market um, in post-recessionary periods. So listeners, we are technically in a post-recessionary period because last year in 2020, the recession, technical recession, only lasted two months, okay? So uh, I'm gonna share this update word for word. Here we go. And at that point, it felt like two years. Absolutely, it did. I aged a little bit during uh, the spring of 2020. Yeah, a little more gray in that that beard of yours. Yeah, that's where this came from. (laughs) Here we go. Post-recession periods have historically delivered the strongest annual earnings growth. As noted, the comparison against the prior year quarter is often highly favorable. But excess earnings growth also reflects the fact that companies in their early recovery period are experiencing rises business activity levels within lean operating structures. Amid declining business activity in a recessionary period, companies typically streamline operating and manufacturing costs. In the pandemic period, for example, travel, trade show costs vanished, facility operating costs in many cases were sharply reduced. Although these costs will come back gradually, companies can usually count on a few quarters of strong activity within a lean operating structure, resulting in margin expansion. Companies are also leveraging pricing power and revenue growth into further expanding their margins. As a result, corporate operating margins were at the highest levels since the Great Recession of 08 and 09. A little bit more. Given rising revenues, still lean operating structures, and expanding margins, we, that's Argus, believes that earnings growth can continue to grow at above average levels for the next several quarters. We have hiked our 2021 and 2022 earnings forecast several times already this year, and we are likely to raise our estimates once more as second quarter earnings season plays out. Rising earnings, along with good market breadth, are a staunch support for the stock market as it rises to even higher levels. So Mark, I've noted this in previous podcasts recently, 
that I believe that corporate spending will rise in the second half of this year as a lot of Fortune 500 companies are flush with cash after conservative spending since COVID hit. You combine that with lean operating structures and that could continue to provide a tailwind for corporate earnings in the quarters to come. Definitely something to watch, Mark. Any comments, sir? Yeah, and I think that, you know, for listeners that, you know, could get a little confused by that verbiage from from Argus, I think the plain English version, simplified version of it is, you know, companies have been extremely conservative with COVID. Um, They are uh, flush with cash. And what that means is that, you know, from a shareholder perspective, they're going to use that cash to increase shareholder value. So things like increasing dividends or doing special one-time dividends to share profits with shareholders or buying back shares, you know, those are all things that increase shareholder value. And when companies are flush with cash, you tend to see that stuff happen uh, more consistently, right? So I think for listeners, that's the main takeaway is that, you know, through the end of the year, don't be surprised if you see more things like that happen. In addition, I think you'll see a lot continued hiring. I know we have record job openings, but I see the, you know, this hiring bull market not ending anytime soon. And so as people are, you know, getting jobs, they're going to spend that money. Again, goes back to the consumer led economy. And I think it looks bright the rest of the year. Yeah, agreed. Back to you, my friend. Um, So the financial planning topic of the week comes from a blog post written by Morgan Housel titled Money Rules. Uh, Barry Ritholtz, who is the CEO and founder of Ritholtz Wealth Management, posted a question on Twitter to his followers a few weeks ago, and he asked for everyone's top 10 money rules. And to answer this question, uh, Morgan decided to, to do this in a blog post. Um, So I just want to go over a couple that I really liked from Morgan um, that we can kind of talk about here. Excellent. So uh, this is the first one. Money makes it easy to mistake optimism, good, with gullibility, dangerous, and overconfidence, disastrous. And, you know, I think this is what we always see in the euphoria phase in the market, Matt. I think you know, people almost get a high from getting on a hot streak with picking investments that do really well. And that's fine. But, you know, people need to make sure that they do not get blinded by the success and make sure that they're following, you know, following their rules and sticking to their plan. And, you know, like we all know, it hurts twice as much to lose money than make money. Absolutely. You know, the other factor is, you know, we tend to always uh, talk about our winners and never our losers. Um, But, you know, ultimately, when it comes to this rule specifically, I'm in agreement. Um, The next one he had was getting rich and staying rich are different things that require different skills. And I really like this one because it's different to be rich on paper than actually realizing your gains and locking that in. And you can get fooled by seeing someone's investment account balance posted on Twitter or any other social media site because it could get cut in half in a little is in as little as a few weeks or even just a few days. So, you know, how many times have we seen pro athletes, for example, make crazy amounts of money when they're playing and then they blow it all when they're retired? So I guess one of the questions I might have for you, Matt, is 
you know, what's the best way to make sure that, you know, people don't blow all of their money, um, you know, when they retire from like pro athletics, for example. Yeah. Sale of a business. I think you got to have a realistic withdrawal rate. You know, a lot of times people are taking more than their investments are making. You start digging into that principle, then it becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy of the account going to zero. So I think the big thing is just having realistic spending that when you go on a fixed budget and you're living off of the earnings from an investment portfolio when you're retired, have a realistic withdrawal rate. That's yeah. the biggest advice I would give. I agree with that. And I think another big piece of that is, you know, keep some of that money invested. I feel like these, these athletes, you know, they get paid millions and millions of dollars. They just say, well, I'm never going to run out of this money. So I'm just going to keep this in cash at the bank. And then, you know, five different, you know, vacation properties later and three different cars later, they're starting to dig into that money. And if that money is just sitting in cash, it's not growing. Right. So I think that's another big mistake that people make. And I'm fine with people, you know, that are, that are retiring or near retirement. They have a year's worth or a two years worth of living expenses in cash. I'm fine with that. If that, what, what is what makes you more comfortable with keeping a majority of your money invested in the market, even through corrections and pullbacks, I'm okay with that. But you have to realize that you need to keep this money growing for you to be able to, to, to live the way you want to live in retirement, at least for most people. There's a risk of being too conservative. People never talk about it, but there is. And so especially in this interest rate environment, this is not an environment like 25, 30 years ago, where you could invest and only be in 50% stock and achieve a 5% withdrawal rate. It's not. And what's happened with interest rates as low as they are, listeners, you're going to need more stock exposure to hit bogeys to meet that withdrawal rate. And again, there is a risk of being too conservative. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, The next one is the formula for how to do well with money is simple. The behaviors you battle while implementing that formula are hard. And it seems so easy to follow your financial plan to a T, but we have to realize that we're all human and that life happens. No financial plan, in my opinion, is written in permanent ink. And I think it's written in very, very light pencil. Um, so you can't predict the future. We talk about that all the time. And you know, your financial plan is very fluid and, and is always changing. So it's never going to stay exactly how it is when you do it, right? And I think people just have to realize that um, because never, not everything is going to work out uh, according to hypothetical growth calculations or estimates on what your tax rate is going to be in 15 years. So I think people just have to realize that, you know, a financial plan is more of a, like a guideline, right? Or or guide rails in the bowling alley, just to keep you on track. You're going to bounce back and forth between those rails, but as long as we stay between the rails and don't go into the gutter, you know, we're going to be pretty successful. I think that's great. You pointed all that out. Let's take a step back and let's explain to newer listeners exactly what is a financial plan, Mark? Yeah, so a lot of things go into a financial plan. It's pretty much a, you know, a snapshot of your financial life where you take everything that's financial in your life, put it into a plan and say, hey, if I change nothing from what I'm doing today, I want to see what retirement looks like. 
And then if you're working with a professional, um, someone like Aaron or Taylor in our office, they can say, hey, if you change X, Y, and Z, this is how much better retirement could be, right? So it takes into account your, your spending habits, your saving habits, how much you make, all of your investment accounts, return amounts, um, your tax bracket, your projected tax bracket, um, the different types of assets that you have, your residence, any other property, social security benefits, pension income in retirement. So it takes into account everything and kind of tries to give you an idea of what retirement would look like for you. And then from that standpoint, you can make the cost benefit analysis of, is it worth it for me to work another five or six years to be able to spend an extra $30,000 a year in retirement, for example? Or is my time more important to me and I'm willing to not spend as much in retirement to have my time back and do what I want and not have the alarm go off at 5.45 or 6 a.m. every morning and go to work? That's right. Very well explained, Mark. And, and listeners, what I see in common practice is that individuals that are the most uncertain about retirement tend to drag their feet on creating a plan because they're afraid of seeing what their results are. It's kind of similar yeah. to somebody who might have a health issue and they're afraid to go to the doctor to really see what's going on. And we all know that tends to be a recipe for disaster. You tend to make it worse. So I would take this, if you're listening to this podcast and you count yourself as one of those individuals who really needs to sit down, put pen to paper, see exactly where you stand financially in regards to retirement, use this as a motivation to make that happen. You can seek out people like us, but there's a lot of resources online to do this as well on your own. I just want to encourage you that if you're in that camp, bite the bullet, see where you really stand in regards to retirement, and you're going to feel a lot better. Yeah, and I'll leave, you know, finish this topic off by saying this is that, you know, when you have more runway until retirement, it's way easier to make and implement changes that will have a significant effect on your retirement life. But if, like you said, you wait until only, five years or three years or even two years from retirement, you don't have enough time to make meaningful changes, in my opinion. So, you know, if you, you really want to have the retirement that you want, it's better to do this, you know, as early in life as possible, even in your 20s or 30s, I don't think is too early to put this stuff together to realize what you have to do, because the more time you have, the more time you have to have those changes compound um, and really have an effect on, on what retirement looks like for you. So well said. Uh, the next was save more money and be more patient is too simple for most people to take seriously, but it's the best solution to most financial problems. And I think Matt, this truly might be one of the best pieces of financial advice I've ever read. Um, you know, I feel like this will solve a majority of people's financial problems, but they just have to get over the fact that this is not going to be something that's instant gratification. What are your thoughts? I absolutely agree. What's happened in the market, especially over the last five years, is people's time horizons just in general have come in drastically, and it should be the opposite. So I would agree. <clears throat> Savings rate, that's what you can control. Right. 
Um, next thing is everything is relative. John D. Rockefeller was asked how much money was enough and said just a little bit more. Everyone at every income tends to feel the same. And I like this because the most popular question we get is how much money is enough to retire in my investment portfolio? And as we know, it really does vary from person to person. It depends on your spending habits and how much other income you're going to be generating besides your investment portfolio. So if you get a part-time job or you have a pension or your social security income, you know, whatever you have is always not going to be enough, right? You're always going to want a little bit more. And that's just human nature that we just have to accept, right? Um, but, you know, be, being realistic with yourself on, on, you know, how much you think is enough to get by and pay for all your living expenses and enjoy life in retirement, you know, that's a pretty good place to start. Absolutely. And I think there's kind of three general phases for a retiree in the form of spending habits. You know, the first third, they're, they're, they're healthier. They have a lot of, you know, bucket list items they want to do, travel, having that second vacation home, getting that car they've always wanted. The next third is where they're getting a little bit older. They're slowing down. They're still healthy to where they're not in the hospital all the time, but they're really just not spending a lot of money. And then that last third is where all the healthcare costs come into play. And those are, that's kind of the evolution that I see. And with that being said, it all goes back to that withdrawal rate. Spending an amount of money that is in line with what the portfolio can handle. And that, of course, translates to what lifestyle you're going to be able to have. Right, right, right. Um, next is spending money to show people how much money you have is the fastest way to have less money. Bingo. I don't think there's anything else to say about that. So moving on, last but not least, no one is impressed with your possessions as much as you are. And that's uh, really good. You know, I, we, we talk about this a lot too, but I just want to say this you know, focus on spending money on things that make you happy. I'll give you an example, right? I paid up a little bit to have the truck that I want, right? But to me, it greatly enhances the driving experience for me. I love my truck. I love it way better than any car that I've ever had. And that makes me happy. So I have to cut back in other areas, right? If I'm going to spend up and pay up a little bit for a truck, then I have to cut back on certain other areas. And to me, you know, an example that is not very important to me and clothes are something I just don't love. So I really don't spend money on new clothes. Most of my clothes are, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old. So that's just an example of, you know, don't try to impress other people on everything that you do. Pick a couple of things that you're, you know, that you're going to enjoy if you have a possession like that. And for me, that's my truck. I absolutely love it. it makes the driving experience a lot better for me. But you have to be realistic with yourself and be able to cut back in different areas because you can't have your cake and eat it too. Well put. You know, for me, I like good vino. You know, I'm willing to pay up for wine that I enjoy. And so there's other areas in my life where I don't have that sort of spending. And so it all balances out. But again, you know, I think the whole theory of, well, don't go out and buy Starbucks because you're not going to be able to retire is ludicrous advice. So yeah, I think it's a Susie Orman thing. I very much disagree with that. So ultimately, that $4 latte is not going to cause you not to retire. No, 
and it's not going to move the needle. It's when you're when you're looking at cutting back, you you don't look at the you know four dollars a day decision. You're looking at the you know the thousand dollars a month decision. You know to be able to have a significant impact. So don't worry if it's a couple bucks here and there. There's no time to waste on on spending. Worried about that. Yes, sir. So we will leave it there, Matt. Um, we should be back. Actually, we're not going to be back in the office next week. You're going to be out of town again. So we're going to do another virtual podcast. Um, so for episode number 112, we'll be back on Zoom again uh, next week. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to episode number 111. Hope you all have a wonderful, safe weekend. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.